Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. You don't like Bitcoin? You wouldn't invest in Bitcoin? Do you invest in the stock market at this moment? So not at this moment. I think it's high. Uh, so I have not invested in the stock market at this moment. I have in the past, but I have not at this moment. I think it's high. Okay. Uh, Bitcoin, I, I just seems like a scam. Uh, I was surprised. You know, with us, it was at 6000 and uh, much lower. Uh, I don't like it because it's another currency competing against the dollar. Essentially, it's a currency competing against the dollar. I want the dollar to be the currency of the world. That's what I've always said. It is 10.30 a.m. Central Daylight Time. I know I'm late. It is the 7th of June, 2021. This is episode 432 of Bitcoin. And wow, okay. So the Bitcoin conference was, apparently the Bitcoin conference in Miami was everything from a complete shit show all the way up to a tearjerker. Apparently... It had everything, in, it, it was like everything in between. So yeah, so shit coinery was occurring. I don't think anybody figured, you know, that it would be anything, you know, less than that because what are you going to do? Shoot the guy that jumped up on the stage and was wearing a Doge t-shirt? No, you're not going to shoot him. I mean, come on. All right, so let's, let's just kind of stand back and just take a breath about all our feelings about what's going, what happened at the Miami thing. Okay. It was, I did not go. Okay. So first of all, I'm getting everything. Like I was just monitoring the Twitter feed coming out of all my favorite Bitcoiners who do, did get a chance to go. And I got to say, man, uh, it, wow. I'm not even sure if I can like shit, even with the shit coinery, that sounded like it was one hell of a conference. I mean, so so many announcements, so much weirdness was going on. I mean, it was just bizarre. So let's let's start with the biggest news to drop out of that conference, at least in my opinion, is the El Salvador news. Now I'm going to read this one from Bitcoin Magazine. It is being penned by who's who wrote the damn thing? Oh, Peter Chihuahua wrote this. This was on June June the 5th. All right. So <clears throat> in a recorded announcement played today at the Bitcoin 2021 conference, the president of El Salvador, Naib Bukele, I think that's how you pronounce it, announced that the country's government would declare Bitcoin as legal tender. Quote, next week I will send to Congress a bill that will make Bitcoin a legal tender, end quote, he said. That means it's got to go through the stuff. All right, it's not, he's not waving a magic wand and making this shit happen. It's got to go through whatever process they have down there in El Salvador. So just 
Hold on to your seats, boys and girls. The presentation was hosted by Jack Mallers, founder of Lightning Network Payments Platform Strike, who has been working with Bukele to determine the logistics of this historic move. Quote, over 70% of the active population of El Salvador doesn't have a bank account. They're not in the financial system. They asked me to help write a plan and that they viewed Bitcoin as a world-class currency and that we needed to put together a Bitcoin plan to help these people, Mallers said. In declaring Bitcoin legal tender, El Salvador has become the first country to onboard a non-fiat currency. Because Bitcoin is issued programmatically and does not fall under the control of any third party or central bank, El Salvador is now uniquely positioned to take advantage of Bitcoin's unique properties, particularly as a store of value that is provably scarce and natively digital. According to Mallers, the country is now working with Bitcoin businesses and platforms to determine logistical solutions for the move. Mallers said he would provide an open source guide to the process called Bitcoin for Countries. I wonder if he co-wrote that with Sailor. That sounds like something Sailor would be in on, honestly. El Salvador is already home to one of the world's most Bitcoin forward communities in El Zante, which is home to the Bitcoin Beach operation, or sorry, project, <clears throat> the Bitcoin Beach project. And it has created a circular BTC economy there. Bitcoin Beach also sponsors the country's national surf teams and is working to build a surf and community center in honor of one of its members. And they're talking about, I think her first name was Diana, who was struck by lightning on her deck out in the ocean when a freak storm got came in too quick and she couldn't get off the water and she got hammered by the, the light of the gods. And her loss is sad, but what the article isn't saying is that the country's national surf team is a like a, an Olympic summer games contender, right? And they the the community center that these people want to build, it's not a community center or surf and community center. It's an Olympic, uh, what do they call an Olympic quality training facility for the national surf team of El Salvador. All right, so it's a little bit bigger than just saying that they want to build a surf and community center in her honor. I think that they've already hit the mark on how much money they wanted to raise in Di Diana's name. I, I do believe that's her name. Um, and I'm certain that you can still donate. I do not have the donation address, okay? I, I, it, and it's not here in the news article. I wish they had put it in there. But uh, just, just search around, you know, for El Zonte is spelled E-L-Z-O-N-T-E. That is in El Salvador. It's right on the coast, obviously. Uh, from what I can see, it's actually a beautiful spot. And anyway, so like search for El Zante, Bitcoin Beach Project, and Surf Team at El Salvador, and you will find where it is that you can donate to this, uh, to this Olympic training facility. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. What's really interesting here, however, and, and please keep in mind that the president did not just make Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. He is either authoring by himself or co-authoring a bill to go through the El Salvadoran Congress to be passed. And then I presume, I don't know much about the politics of, of El Salvador, I uh, presume that the president would then be in a position to sign that bill into law. What was not said also in this article was that, and from what I understand, it was Jack Mallers that said this on stage, 
that not only was it going to become legal tender if the bill passes, keep that in mind, but that they were going to start putting it on their balance sheet. That's right, the country's balance sheet, the country of El Salvador. Now, we're get, as you would imagine, we're getting the FUD. Oh, he's a dictator. Oh, he's an authoritarian. Well, guess what, motherfucker? Find me a country that's not. Have you seen what's going on in Canada? I just saw something coming out of Australia that looked just absolutely horrible. Young kid is trying to tell the cops that he's not masked up and he's outside because there's just under slightly 100% chance that you'll survive this. And I couldn't watch the rest of it because I know what was going to happen. I presume that they beat his ass to within an inch of his life. Tell me where a non-authoritarian country exists in this world. If you say the United States, you're wrong. If you say Canada, you're wrong. If you say the UK, you're wrong. If you say it's Norway, you're wrong. They're all authoritarian because as a population of humans that act as the citizenry of all the countries in the world, we allow this shit to happen. We're authoritarian. It, it's becoming apparent to me that all humans, their basic state is to tell other people what the fuck to do. And we just apparently cannot not do that. I, I, I don't get it. I don't want to waste my time on this planet telling somebody who isn't me what to do. I, it, it boggles the mind. But continuing with the El Salvadoran story, it's, it's becoming really interesting what's going on down there because it's like the president put on laser eyes on his uh, Twitter profile and the next thing you know, he's starting to tweet a lot about Bitcoin, including how to get into El Salvador and what benefits El Salvador has. Now, before I read this piece, keep it in mind that the dude is not the most polite guy on the face of the planet. He has done some dictatorial shit. We all, we get it, dude. We understand where, I mean, honestly, I've been dealing with presidents in my own country that have been fairly dictatorial themselves, so I'm used to it, right? God knows the people in the UK are used to it. The people in Australia are certainly used to it. The people in Canada are starting to figure out what authoritarian actually looks like. So, you know, don't come crying to me about this guy doing bad shit. They all do bad shit. But he's saying the following. William Suberg is going to tell you about it out of Cointelegraph. Bitcoin users will get help relocating and working in El Salvador, says the president. All right, let's find out. Bitcoin hodlers who want to earn BTC tax-free will get help to stay in El Salvador, the country's president has said. In a tweet on Monday, the president said that his government would help settle foreign workers. The announcement is one of many that continue to come informally from Bukele, now famous for attempting to put El Salvador on a form of a Bitcoin standard. At last week's Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami, he told the audience in a pre-recorded video message that he would send a bill to lawmakers demanding that Bitcoin be made legal tender. Now, as part of social media engagement with well-known cryptocurrency figures, Bukele suggested that those wishing to travel to work in El Salvador would get official support. Once made legal tender, Bitcoin income would not face capital gains tax. That's important. Quote, we'll help with this, he replied when debating the topic with podcast 
host St- Stefan Levera. Uh, let's see, in this tweet, I'm not going to read the tweet. You can go uh, find the tweets from uh, this guy himself. Ah, I wish they'd give his, uh, okay, yeah, his his Twitter handle, if you want to know the president of El Salvador's Twitter handle, it's Nayib Bukele, N-A-Y-I-B-B-U-K-E-L-E. That's N-A-Y-I-B-B-U-K-E-L-E. And you'll get to get it from the horse's mouth what he's talking about. But in a separate tweet came promises of immediate permanent residence for crypto entrepreneurs, a move that spurred interest from figures such as Tron's CEO, Justin Sun, and Binance CEO, Shang-Peng Zhao, among others. Yeah, the vultures are already out, guys. As Cointelegraph reported, meanwhile, El Salvador's plan has already seen Paraguay make a similar move. Likewise, using Twitter as a venue for publicizing still unofficial government plans, one congressperson hinted that a deal involving PayPal would shortly be announced by Asuncion, Asuncion, A-S-U-N-C-I-O-N. This likewise received a warm reception. Quote, now Paraguay? The sovereign level game theory starting to take shape, just like many have been talking about for years, podcast host Preston Pish responded. Criticism has nonetheless come mixed with concern for El Salvador. The political structure of the country has worried some, while others believe that there would be an international backlash over a Bitcoin standard. Bukele, however, has already pledged to rise above external pressures. Quote, some powerful interest will try to make this historical Bitcoin move fail, he wrote. They know what it means if it succeeds, and it will. Plan B Passport, a dedicated service helping Bitcoin owners move to more appealing jurisdictions such as Portugal, has yet to add El Salvador to its list of destinations. Uh, That is, by the way, that's Katie the Russian's outfit. Uh, If you don't know who Katie the Russian is, I highly recommend that you follow her on Twitter. I do believe her Twitter handle is at Katie the Russian. She's been helping, uh, she started a business to help people uh, get themselves quote unquote flagged in several jurisdictions at once to, I don't Some people are going to say it's a tax dodge, but honestly, tax is theft. And also, honestly, if the United States government didn't steal so much of my money every single year and piss it away, I wouldn't be so goddamn upset about the taxes. I really wouldn't. But they do steal it and they steal too much of it and they piss it away. They don't use it for the shit that it needs to be used on. Instead, they line the pockets of warmongers and drop bombs on innocent civilian children around the world in my name and my children's names, my wife's name, my sister's names, my dead mother and father's names. My entire family is complicit in this shit because we keep giving them money. And if we don't, we're going to go to jail. So don't fucking tell me about how El Salvador's president is a dictator and that the country is rife with crime. Guess what? It's like any other country in the world now, isn't it? And honestly, I think that the adoption, if this works, if it gets through Congress and we don't bomb the living snot out of them for some trumped up weird reason, like weapons of mass destruction 2.0 or something like that, then the dictator that is the president will end up not being a dictator. 
The people will not be oppressed. I'm starting to wonder if just because the pressures, the externalities of the major countries of the world and the way that we have done fiat financing and the legacy finance system is the very thing that causes small countries to slip into dictatorships and, and like horrendous authoritarianism because their people are poor. El Salvador is a dollarized country. When we, we, as we print stimulus checks, we're actually devaluing the dollars that they hold and they're not getting stimmy checks. So I don't want to hear, I, I literally could give a rat's ass about how bad El, El Salvador is. You know what I think? I'll bet you my ass El Salvador is not that bad. I'll bet you my ass it is just another load of, of MSM bullshit that keeps people away from jurisdictions that might actually be more welcoming. I don't know. I've never been to El Salvador. I'm sure it's pretty rough, but I'll bet you it stops getting, I'll bet you it gets better. If this goes through, we don't bomb them. I'll bet you it gets better. We'll have to watch. We know it's getting, it got better for the people of El Zante. And now the, the situation in El Zante, from what I understand, is starting to spill over into the neighboring villages. Why? Because it's a good thing. People want to have a good thing. We're, I mean, the people around the world, I think, are just fed to the teeth of, of just ongoing depression, mental depression. Not, I, it, it's almost like humanity is so fucking bored because nothing ever changes that we're doing the stupidest things in the world. We're listening to the stupidest people in the world. We're defending the most wrong people in the world because of titles and, and, and accolades and, and awards and Nobel prizes and shit. And when you actually dig deep into their knowledge about anything, you find out that they're just as fundamentally flawed as your asshole neighbor next door. There's nothing special about Paul Krugman. We'll get to his ass later. There's nothing special about Donald Trump. There's nothing special about Elon Musk. There's nothing special about Michael Saylor. I like Mike, but I, 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 I'm done with this whole hero worship bullshit. It doesn't exist. People are just people. Now, after this, all this stuff about El Salvador, what happens to Jack Maller's Twitter account? Goes dark. <laughs> so, either... And, and there's like, I, I'm hoping we'll find out what has happened because at 128,000 followers, uh, at Jack Mallers, the guy behind all this shit, um, go, you know, that Twitter account going dark, that's a big Twitter account. You know, that's like nothing to sneeze at. You know, I'm, I'm at just over 5,000 followers on my Twitter account. It's taken me years to do that shit. And here's this kid that's just blowing out all of us out of the water. His account goes dark. So either he got hacked or somebody told Twitter to pull the plug because this happened pretty much within 24 hours after the El Salvador announcement. And all of a sudden, Jack Maller's Twitter account goes dark. It, it, it has since come back, but his profile pic is not there. The, the banner on his Twitter account is not there. I can see his tweets. I can read his profile. He still has 128,000 followers. We don't know what the hell happened, but something happened. And I bet you, it, it, I bet I know it's not it, it it is not a coincidence. 
that this shit happened 24 hours after the El Salvador announcement. If South America and Central America are anywhere close to smart, they will take this opportunity to have a whole shitload of Latin Americans be free of the fiat currencies of the world. And they better do it quick. Because God only knows what the CIA and the, and the War Department or the Department of Defense is, is you know, are, are, are they throwing babies out of incubators on the floor? Yeah, we heard that before. Do they have weapons of mass destruction? Are they state sponsors of terrorism? Are they involved in child sex trafficking? You name it, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. El Salvador in the next week, by the end of this week, in this brand new fresh week, by the end of this shit, um, by the end of this week, man, El Salvador is going to, is probably going to be some kind of tyrannical prison and everybody is being tortured systematically. I don't know. It, it, it would not, I, I don't put it past this government to do that kind of shit. Okay. Now, today, Michael Saylor has done yet another Michael Saylor-y thing, which is what? Well, to basically take a loan to buy more Bitcoin. MicroStrategy is going to offer $400 million in notes to buy more corn, even as it warns of a $284.5 million impairment. Let's see, read more about this from Tanzil Akhtar out of Coindesk. <coughs> Publicly traded business intelligence micro strategy said it intends to offer 400 million senior or 400 million dollars in senior secured notes to raise funds to purchase more Bitcoin, even as the Bitcoin it already has will likely result in a massive impairment. Yes, CoinDesk loves Bitcoin, don't they? In fact, the added purchase of Bitcoin was seen to be doubling down of sorts. For even as company expressed its intention to buy more of the leading cryptocurrency, it warned that based on the fluctuations of the price during the Q2 to the present date, it sees taking an impairment of at least $284.5 million for the quarter starting or rather ending June 30. While MicroStrategy has raised money to buy Bitcoin from the proceeds of note offerings before, it was always done by notes that were convertible into the company's shares. This time, the notes <coughs> are to be guaranteed on a senior secured basis by MicroStrategy Services Corp, a subsidiary of MicroStrategy. <clears throat> Shares of MicroStrategy, which had soared to a two-decade high in February thanks to a surging Bitcoin, have plummeted almost 55%, 55% since then as they followed Bitcoin back to earth. The company said it has formed a new subsidiary, Macro Strategy LLC, which will hold its current stash of 92,079 Bitcoin. So it, it, if, in case you guys were wondering, and you've seen the tweets about changing the name to Macro Strategy, well, they're not going to change the name. They just opened, they just built a new company and named it Macro Strategy. I'm honestly surprised that somebody didn't snag that name before, uh, but I don't know. You never know about Michael Saylor. He was the one that, you know, bought voice.com and hope.com and, you know, every like noun.com under the sun. So he probably already had a stake at, uh, for micro strat or macro strategy LLC and just deployed it. Who knows? But so here we are again with two, two things about this story is that Michael Saylor is doubling down on Bitcoin and Coindesk hates Bitcoin. I don't know why. The entire publication of Coindesk would not be here without Bitcoin. So I, I don't get it. Anyway, 
All right, now to the sadness part of what was announced over, or not announced, but what was delivered over the uh, uh, Miami uh, Bitcoin 2021 conference. In a first interview since his arrest, Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht appeals to Bitcoin users. This is Peter Chihuahua writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Speaking publicly for the first time since a 2013 arrest for his role in creating and managing Bitcoin-based online marketplace Silk Road, Ross Ulbricht described his original intentions for the Darknet site and appealed to the Bitcoin community to continue advocating for freedom. Quote, I've spent the last eight years watching Bitcoin grow up from inside here, Ulbricht said in a phone interview with Bitcoin Magazine from a maximum security federal prison which premiered at the Bitcoin 2021 conference. Quote, I've seen incredible innovation. I've seen inspiring courage. We didn't know how things would turn out for Bitcoin back in the beginning, but over the years, I've been continually impressed with what you've accomplished. We are transforming the global economy. We have brought a taste of freedom and equality to far corners of the world. And I know we can transform criminal justice too, end quote. Ulbricht launched Silk Road in 2011 when he was 26 years old, and it quickly became the most significant real-world use for the pseudonymous censorship-resistant attributes of the recently launched Bitcoin project. In 2015, he was convicted of money laundering, computer hacking, and conspiracy to traffic illicit items, and received a, get this, guys, double life sentence plus 40 years in prison for nonviolent crime. Yep. During the call, he explained that he had launched Silk Road without an understanding of how popular it would be or exactly how it would be used, but with a desire to leverage the unique properties of Bitcoin. Quote, I thought with Bitcoin, I could try to do something that actually makes a difference. Back then, I was impatient. I rushed ahead with my first idea, which was Silk Road. That's a 26-year-old who thinks he has to save the world before someone beats him to it. I had no idea Silk Road would work. But now we all know it caught on. It was used to sell drugs, and now I'm in prison. He underscored the fact that he faces a lifetime in prison because he tried to enable a marketplace that sought to operate outside of mainstream regulation. Quote, the irony is that I made Silk Road in the first place because I thought it was further, I was furthering the things that I cared about, freedom, privacy, equality. But by making Silk Road, I wound up in a place where those things don't exist, end quote. Ulbricht's family and friends have maintained the Free Ross Project in an effort to garner support for a reduction in his sentence. During the call, Ulbricht appealed to the Bitcoin community to realize the freedom-enhancing qualities of the technology by helping cases like his own. Bitcoin is strong, Ulbricht said. Bitcoin is powerful. We are powerful. And our work is not over. It's time to wake up. It's time to take the next step. All right, so this is the end of that article, but clearly Ross Ulbricht had much more to say. I just wasn't going to read the entire transcript. Um, There are recordings of it, and I guarantee Twitter, you'll you'll find it somewhere. You'll find the the whole recording, and I'm I'm sure Bitcoin Magazine will, if they haven't already, will release the whole thing. But what I wanted to say about this is that this apparently happened, was the very last thing to happen on the first night of the conference, and people were crying. And it, it, it hit me hard too, you know, to the point that I'm openly suggesting that the prison be overrun and Ross Ulbricht be forcibly removed from that prison, taken to somewhere safe that's outside of the jurisdiction of the United States and left there to be free. 
This man does not deserve a double life sentence plus 40 years because he made a website. And all the people that hate Ross Ulbricht, I, for, for the love of God, I have no idea why they are so adamant in how evil this child is. My God. You know, he was actually put up on charges for attempted murder or soliciting attempted murder. Yeah, that those were FBI charges during the the at the very first part of the case when the trial was first starting. Those charges were dropped because there's no evidence that he did any of those things. And honestly, why? Why would he want to kill somebody? These were trumped up charges by the United States Department of Justice to do something vile and hideous to this child. I mean, he was 26 years old at the time. Okay, clearly, yeah, yeah, I know. You're supposed to be a, a full-grown man, but he's still so young. I mean, he was so young. I honestly think we should go get him. I just don't know how. Because you would need a million people armed to overrun the penitentiary in Tucson and people are going to end up getting killed. And I don't want to suggest taking an action that's going to get anybody killed, but what the fuck are we going to do? The judge refuses any of the judges, especially the judge that, that sentenced him in the first place, that bitch needs to go to hell. I'm sorry, but that there is no place on this earth where she should be walking and breathing air but don't, I mean, literally, no, I'm not saying go kill her. I'm just saying that she shouldn't be here. People like that should not be walking the earth with humanity. Uh, we got enough problems on our own. We don't need that shit walking around. <clears throat> but nobody will, I mean, like he's lost every appeal. They still have money. You know, the Free Ross Project, people still donate to it. I donated to it. It's still, it, I mean, it's still going on. I just don't know what they're going to be able to do. It's, it's From what I understand, they've exhausted all the appeals. There's, there's no way out for this man. And I don't understand. I, I have never understood this shit. But you know what? If a million people marched on the federal penitentiary, and I think it's in Tucson, Arizona, broke in, and threw all the guards and all the administrators in, into a cell and went and found Ross Ulbricht and hijacked his ass out of that prison, I would not shed a bloody fucking tear. I really wouldn't. This is a miscarriage of justice beyond anything that I've ever even witnessed, except for the persecution of any wars in Iraq, the bombings of weddings in Pakistan. That shit is pretty vile. But here at home, when it's a matter of actual criminal justice, this shit, this shit right here is abhorrent. And it displays the absolute worst qualities of the human condition. This kid needs to be out and he needs to be out of prison right now so that he can get back to some semblance of a life so that his mother can have a son again. It's just, it's mesmerizing in its scope just how horrific this is. Let's see what the markets are doing. It's probably horrific out there. We'll run the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash markets. I'm not doing futures because the markets are actually open right now. 
Things look mixed. S&P 500 is down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ is up 0.09. The Dow Jones is down a third of a point. FTSE is up 0.12. Nikkei is up a quarter of a point. Hang Seng is down a half. Shanghai is up a quarter of a point. Volatility has risen 2.86%. For all you guys that are doing derivatives on volatility, have at it. The 10-year bond is yielding 1.56%. The 30-year bond, 2.24%. The five-year bond, 0.79%. The two-year is coming in at 0.15%. And the three-month treasury bill or bond or whatever is coming in at 0.023%. The Bund, the 10-year in Germany, <clears throat> is still negative. You can earn a negative 0.2% interest rate on your investment. My God almighty, I just, I don't understand that part. Uh, fire uh, or flammable liquids are, are doing okay. Well, they're not, they're down today, but they've been up over like the last week. It's kind of been amazing. West Texas Intermediate is damn near at $70, y'all. $69.21 for a barrel of that, which basically means that uh, Brent North Sea crude is definitely above $71. Natural gas is down a half a point, is coming in at $3.08. Gold is up a quarter of a point. It's still below 1900 Silver is up a half. Uh, wheat futures are up 0.62, in case you wanted to know. And copper futures are down, uh, or, or the commodities price is down 0.66 at this time. Uh, let's see, real money. We got Bitcoin coming in at $36,069.07. 219,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 9,128 transactions on average per hour. Uh, 994,000 BTC were sent in this 24-hour period. That is 41,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. The average transaction uh, value is 4.5 BTC. The median transaction value is way low at 0.017 BTC. $621. Block times are pegged almost at 10 minutes with eight seconds on the plus side for them. Uh, 0.19 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and only 27.5 BTC being taken overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a boost in hash rate to the tune of 5.5%. Uh, that brings us to 152.7 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator today is Doge as usual, and it is sitting at 32 cents. <clears throat> it should be sub one penny. It should. It really should. Oh, God, this shitcoin. Only 7,000 transactions are waiting on 10 blocks to clear. Uh, we have, oh, let's see, $674.2 billion in market cap. That is a a mere five and a half percent of gold's market cap. We can only buy 19 ounces of gold or shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,729,122.75 of in circulation at this time. We have 1,452 BTC in the Lightning Network that has a capacity value of $52.3 million. It is being run over 11,770 nodes that we can see. Be aware of that. Uh, we have Tor, the, uh, sorry, the percentage of Tor uh, of the Lightning Network is 63.3%. Not an all-time high as far as I know, but we've been holding strong above 60% for a few weeks now, and it's, it's a good thing to see. 
There are 919.3 BTC being represented on the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 6,067 Tor nodes, or at least the nodes that we can actually see. Tap root, I, it's gonna happen. I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen. You know, like every single miner would literally have to turn off all of their signaling bits and go back to signaling for not taproot at this time because we have uh, 1,209 blocks in this, uh, in this difficulty period that are signaling for taproot and a mere 26 blocks that are not signaling for taproot. It should be noted that the hated mining company, Mara, who is an OFAC bootlicking son of a bitch company, is now signaling for taproot. Um, I mean, I gotta give credit where credit is due. Out of the last, or out of the 16 blocks that they have mined in this difficulty period, a full five of them have been signaling for taproot. And if I go and I look at, at this, I'm gonna, let's see if they actually have a, uh, what am I trying to say? If they have a gap in their signaling. Oh, I didn't wanna do that, hold on. You know what, this may, this may not happen. <laughs> Oh, no, it's going to happen. Yep, five blocks. They started signaling at block number 686,553, and they have five consecutive signaling blocks in a row. In a row. So, that's going to do it for Midas. Got some lightning news coming out of the Bitcoin 2021 conference. Elizabeth Stark and Lynn Alden uh, say Bitcoin can help billions of people. Well, we knew that, and I don't need Lee Kuhn to tell me about it, but she's the one writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Lightning Lab CEO Elizabeth Stark and macroeconomics researcher Lynn Alden, founder of Lynn Alden Investment Strategy, took the stage at Bitcoin 2021 in Miami on Saturday to talk about how Bitcoin is useful for billions of people and not just billionaires. Quote, people are able to use Bitcoin to send value globally instantly and for almost no fees. With Lightning, you can send a fraction of a penny, Elizabeth Stark said. Stark referenced Lightning Network payments in places like El Salvador, showing that Bitcoin can be useful in low-income communities. In particular, she said nearly 6 billion people live in places without stable currencies and easy access to financial services. Many people may need to travel an hour or more if they want to send a bank transfer. Alden agreed, saying, quote, We see some of the most humanitarian and impactful use cases in emerging markets, end quote. Both women added that usage increases the value of Bitcoin, both the network and the asset class. Quote, the stronger liquidity gets over time, the more and more usable the network gets, Alden said. That's separate from price fluctuations based on whatever a billionaire is tweeting about on any given day. The fundamentals, end quote. To hear more about this Bitcoin ecosystem, follow Bitcoin 2021 on Twitter and Instagram. Plus, join our conversation on Telegram and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Blah, 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 blah. As Stark said, quote, we're bringing this technology to the next billion people. You damn right we are. This shit's not going to stop because I, what I see is a bunch of Bitcoiners who may look like they're just pissed off, but I don't think they're pissed off. I think they're just filled with a flame, man. You know, and so many people talk shit about Bitcoin Conference 2021. I get it. All we, Dieter Bob, I mean, I love you, dude. But, and you, and you make good points about the shit. Like Kevin O'Leary being on stage makes me sick. But something happened. 
something happened that was good between Jack Mallers, Ross Ulbricht, you know, talking about what they were talking about, the El Salvadoran president coming on board, that lit a fire under a whole bunch of people's asses over the weekend, whether you were at the conference or not. I know it lit a fire under my ass. And it's not, I mean, I sound pissed off, but I'm not really pissed off. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to manage my time preference because I want this all to happen now. And I know it's not going to happen now. And, and I become frustrated because of it. But man, what I saw this weekend, I think you're going to start seeing some very serious people seriously changing their tunes because the external pressures are just not going to allow them to continuously FUD Bitcoin in the face of the humanitarian issues going on in the world today that we can no longer ignore. Blockstream and Square to build a solar-powered Bitcoin mining facility. Oh, Samson, you let me down, bro. <clears throat> we'll get into why here in a minute. Peter Chihuahua is writing it for Bitcoin Mag. Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream and financial services company Square is partnering to construct a solar-powered Bitcoin mining facility. It will be located at one of Blockstream's pre-existing mining facilities and is part of Square's Bitcoin Clean Energy Initiative. Uh, Square plans to invest $5 million in the facility, and Blockstream will provide infrastructure and management experience, according to a press release shared with Bitcoin Magazine. And that's where I'm pissed. Okay, I am actually pissed about this. Not because it's it's they're trying to play into the ESG narrative and all that shit and, the, the, and responding to the dirty energy mining FUD. That's not why I'm pissed. I'm pissed because Square's only putting in a measly $5 million. That's a pittance. That is a pittance when you're actually looking at Square's balance sheet. Ready cash, able to invest $5 million? Shit. They should have gone hard. They should have gone at least 15 to 25. And even that's a pittance compared to their balance sheet. Anyway, quote, <clears throat> the facility will be a proof of concept for a 100% renewable energy Bitcoin mine at scale with the economics of the build out made open to the public, according to the release. Blockstream will maintain a public dashboard that shows real-time metrics about the facility's performance, including its power output and Bitcoin mining yield accessible to anyone through an internet browser. By providing this information transparently, we hope that the facility will prove that Bitcoin can propel the world towards renewable energy. Quote, many mining operations throughout the world, including our own, already rely on renewable energy because it is the most cost-effective power available, said Chris Cook the chief information officer and head of mining at Blockstream per the announcement, quote, we're hoping to demonstrate that a renewable mining facility in the real world is not only possible, but empirically prove that Bitcoin accelerates the world towards a sustainable future. Quote, the project will serve as an ongoing transparent case study that will allow us to learn together the specific unit economics of clean energy Bitcoin mining, added Neil Jorgensen, the global environmental, social, and corporate governance lead at Square, according to the release. Quote, we can't wait to start sharing our results with the community. Oh, yay, ESG results. Yay, yay, we're all going to be clean. Uh, you know, honestly, I just want to burn a tire. <laughs> I do. I want to go out and get a, like, get a truckload of coal, dump it on the ground, pour gas on it, light it on fire, and just tweet it to every single hystericist in the world. 
you know, and every time that somebody mines an OFAC compliant block, I want to burn a tire just, just to say, fuck you. <laughs> and maybe we should, or, or better yet, just, you know, if you don't want to play with fire, it's what, you know, what you can do in to, you know, to throw, a, I don't know, like a, a wrench in the works on this whole thing is that every time somebody says something that's energy FUD directed at Bitcoin, walk your happy ass down to the United supermarket or whatever supermarket you got at hand, buy a block of dry ice, which is 100% CO2 and drop it in a tub of water. Telling you, man, for every time these assholes start saying shit, it's time to release some CO2 into the atmosphere. This, this has become a circus. And the hystericists are doing so much damage to this planet, it doesn't even, it doesn't, it's not even in the same league as Bitcoin mining as a dirty energy. These guys are filthy. They are filthy. They want, they, most of them actually want to remove animals from the soil. Guess what happens to the soil when you remove animals from it? There's some people that you can go ask. One of them, his name is Alan Savory. He gave a TED talk on it. You might want to go watch it. I know you probably don't like TED talks, but Alan Savory, he'll tell you, he'll show you pictures of what happens when you remove animals from the land and just how much damage occurs. Why? Because the animals belong on the land. I don't think they belong in, in like, you know, CAFOs or confined animal feeding operations. I, I, I think that's just as bad as taking them off the land altogether. They just need to be put on the land and they need to be managed in a regenerative fashion. It is pretty simple, people, because I'm driving. I can drive miles through the panhandle of Texas and I will see some of the worst grazing practices ever. And that's if I ever see grazing practices. I see almost no animals upon the land. But you know what I see about the land? It is denuded, it is rotting, it is just being, it's every rainstorm that comes along is just washing more and more topsoil away. Why? Because there's no structure in the soil. Why? Because there's no animals on the land. Animals on the land give structure to the soil over time and they build topsoil. And the more actual soil with structure that's on the land, the less and less and less you get erosion. And the more and more and more atmospheric CO2 is sequestered into the ground where it belongs, doing the stuff that it does, growing more plants, which, which take even more CO2 out of the atmosphere and the cycle just builds. No, these people, the hystericists, they all need to go away. Now, death by a thousand nicks. <clears throat> Nick Zabo on his Bitcoin 2021 keynote about Bitcoin and the history of money. And let's start by who wrote it. Oh, Aaron Von Weirdem for Bitcoin Magazine. I'm trying to read a lot more from Bitcoin Magazine because they don't let me down like Cointelegraph and Decrypt do. Nick Zabo is, or Zabo, is a cypherpunk and cryptocurrency pioneer who in the 1990s proposed smart contracts as well as Bitgold, a predecessor to Bitcoin. He has also written some of the most influential articles in the cryptocurrency space, including shelling out the origins of money, trusted third parties or security holes, and money, blockchains, and social scalability. 
at the Bitcoin 2021 conference. Zabo will speak about Bitcoin and the history of money. In the short interview, Zabo previewed the topics that he will present on stage. So this already happened, but here's what was going on. Uh, the history of money has for centuries been dominated by either precious metals, especially gold, or government-enforced fiat currencies. How does Bitcoin fit into this history? The history of money ties in because Bitcoin solves a number of fundamental historical shortcomings of both precious metals and fiat as money. Costly delivery and insecure custody, expensive and or trust-based validation, and digital or yeah, digital centralization. So how does Bitcoin solve these problems? Quote, costly delivery and insecure custody are the same problem for gold, but solved by Bitcoin in two distinct ways. The first is solved by its seamlessly global transfer of control. The second is mostly but not entirely solved by good key management techniques, e.g. multisig. Quote, expensive and or trust-based validation is solved by Bitcoin full nodes inexpensive and trust-minimized validation of all transactions. So there's no necessity for coins or IOU bank notes with their abusable trust. Quote, digital centralization arising either under a vault and IOU gold standard or fiat <clears throat> enables and incentivizes financial censorship, turning money into an unreliable store of value, more a medium of political activism and less a medium of exchange. Bitcoin fixes this with censorship resistant decentralization. What effects do you think the introduction of Bitcoin could have in the context of the current fiat system? Quote, our 1971 plus fiat experiment has given rise to a growing mountain of world debt, both public and private, increasing, increasing risks of both inflation on one hand and debt collapse on the other. Bitcoin fixes this by being a readily validated form of hard money with a publicly auditable money supply with its 21 million cap being a superior store of value, which will be strongly resistant to inflation and compete, as Michael Saylor notes, with the hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of fiat-denominated securities, end quote. So that's what Nick was going to talk about. And he's, I mean, the guy is really concise about this shit. And he just, like I said, death by a, a thousand Nicks, because every time he opens his mouth, it's like just, he just drops a logic bomb on your ass. So let's see. Uh, do I want to do this one? Uh, hold on. Yeah, we'll do this one. No, Bitcoin is not techno babble, bitches. Netta Corin uh, is writing this for Cointelegraph. Now, before we read this, who the hell is Netta Corin? I just happened to catch this one when I was scanning this article, uh, you know, scrolling down to the bottom. And surprise, 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 check out who this chick is, man. Netta Corin is a co-founder of Orbs and Hexa Foundation. Prior to Orbs, Netta served as a senior advisor to General Mordechai, or sorry, Mordecai Hod on special products or projects in the Israeli Ministry of Defense and as senior advisor to Deputy Minister of Diplomacy Michael Oren in the Prime Minister's office. She began her career on Wall Street as an investment banker and later became a hedge fund manager. She has extensive experience in philanthropy and for over 15 years has served on multiple boards in Israel and America, holding high-level positions in executive committees. All right, that background, that background is like, okay, I don't think that I'm going to say something good about it. And no, I'm not going to be hating on Israel either. Okay, I'm, I'm tired of the, I'm, I'm tired of the whole damn thing. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean that you, you know, are, are, Israel is a country. 
It does not represent the Jewish faith. So all the people that are going out hunting down Jews in Chicago because they're mad about what's going on in Palestine would do well to remember that the Jews that they're kicking in the street probably have never been to Israel. Stop equate. That's like saying that because I'm an American, that I definitely get behind every policy that the United States federal government does. No, I do not. I think most of the policies out of the United States federal government are here to basically fuck over the citizenry of America. And therefore, I haven't considered the United States federal government an American institution since 1913. All right, so if you think that just because somebody's Jewish that they're automatically on Israel's side bombing Palestine, you don't know very many Jews. So stop that shit. Okay, now, with this very interesting background, let's see what she has to say about Bitcoin. <clears throat> many years ago, I ran hedge funds on Wall Street with a long pause for philanthropic and government work. I eventually found my way to blockchain. Ugh. And now I spend my days writing about decentralized finance versus centralized finance. Some of my old Wall Street friends still run a lot of money in hedge funds. And back in 2018, they would tease me and ask if I was still doing my crypto thing. Even today, some of them still think that Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme. One of my dearest friends from my past days in finance recently sent me Nobel Prize winner and economist Paul Krugman's opinion column on Bitcoin in the New York Times, which further reinforces the ar argument of the fake world of crypto. So I took up the challenge to answer Paul's claims. It is clear that Krugman doesn't think highly of cryptocurrencies. It was clear in 2013 with his initial piece in the New York Times titled Bitcoin is Evil. I sure hope he has not been short this entire time. But actually, I see where he is coming from. And to be honest, I can think of so many aspects in which cryptocurrencies need to improve. Having said that, repeating the same old tired cliches such as Bitcoin is only good for illegal activities or there is no real use for Bitcoin in real life does not cut it anymore in 2021. Respectfully, I will say that I was hoping for more from a Nobel laureate in economics. Now, I haven't given a shit about what's been, whoever get, the only Nobel prize I give a shit about at this time is for physics, chemistry, and biology. That's it. Everybody else can go get themselves screwed, especially the economists that win Nobel prizes because that shit, uh, whatever. Krugman starts off by comparing Bitcoin's so-called lack of progress during the tw uh, t past 12 years since its inception with other technologies such as Venmo, the iPad, or Zoom that have thrived and become major parts of our lives. Well, let's begin by examining Bitcoin's public exposure. What started out as an ultra-niche software grew into a $1 trillion asset class at its peak, as the graph below shows faster than any other asset and has become one of the hottest research topics in leading central and commercial banks, as well as in tech companies all around the world. Not to mention, it has become the topic of multiple United States Senate and other parliamentary hearings concerning its regulation and economic impact. What's even more interesting is that Krugman completely ignores the fact that this progress has occurred despite multiple governments' repeated attempts to fight Bitcoin and other shitcoins. Or, uh, sorry, well, she doesn't say, she says cryptocurrencies. I just say shitcoin. So, in my opinion, the resilience of a government's sovereignty can be measured in two major factors. It's national security and its economy. What could be a better metric of economic resilience than a currency? In the past, Krugman has claimed that fiat money is backed by men with guns, which may explain why in this article he ignores the fact that most governments perceive cryptocurrencies as a direct threat to their own currency, and as a result, they try to combat them. 
Some try to ban crypto while others refrain from establishing a clear regulatory framework. This reason alone could explain why cryptocurrencies still have yet to become part of our everyday lives. Krugman goes on with a weak argument that he has never heard a clear answer for the simple question, what is cryptocurrency and or blockchain good for? First, I'm puzzled by the oxymoron because cryptocurrency is a use case of blockchain and also because Satoshi gave a very clear answer in 20 or 2008 to this question. Bitcoin is here to replace central bank fiat money. I'm sure Krugman has had the chance to discuss this with the most knowledgeable, intelligent blockchain and crypto experts out there. I will admit that other use cases for blockchain other than finance are not easy to come by and it could have been could have been that he was not convinced by the potential that perfect transparency and inclusion provided by blockchain could have on better supply chain management, financial and aid funds control, fighting corruption through cleaner public procurement platforms, eliminating elite capture, fighting the proliferation of miners' abusive imagery, and more. Yet, I cannot comprehend how Krugman can overlook cryptocurrency's impact on the people living under crumbling economies such as Venezuela or their potential to save billions of dollars in migrants' remittance fees. Instead, Krugman suggests that cryptocurrencies may just be the most current Ponzi scheme spiced with technobabble and libertarian derp, while adding in the same breath that gold is too. In fact, Krugman sees the two as similar. Gold, after all, suffers from pretty much the same problems as Bitcoin. In many circles... Bitcoin is referred to as digital gold. Funnily enough, I cannot think of a better supporting argument that crypto believers could, crypto believers could have hoped for other than Krugman's quote. He later glorifies gold's mystique and semi-sacred status, claiming that cryptocurrencies may never get to that. Maybe he's right. However, he does not explain how he's reached that interesting conclusion. In essence, this argument is the equivalent of knowing for a fact that chocolate ice cream tastes better than vanilla. But last and not least, I want to address Krugman's and others' repeated argument that Bitcoin is closely associated with illegal activities and whose Pavlovian conditioning to cryptocurrencies summons ransomware, drug trafficking, and money laundering. Yeah, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies have been and still are used by bad actors to finance their illegal activities. But by the way, so are cash, gold, and bank accounts. In another piece, I explain how Bitcoin actually is better suited than fiat to help law enforcement prevent illegal financial activities. Allow me to go out on a limb and say, most owners or users of cryptocurrencies are not criminals. They are law-abiding citizens wherever on the globe they may be. It is the lack of clear regulations that exacerbates issues. Not only does the lack of regulation fail to block all the legal loopholes that bad actors exploit, but it also prevents most users from having clear guidance as to what they can and cannot do, thus putting everybody in the same bucket as alleged criminals. In my opinion, regulators must react faster and regulate crypto markets sooner rather than later. Some hard work, uh, so, oh, sorry, some work hard to reach that goal, but most of them are not doing enough. While Krugman and I hold differing views on Bitcoin blockchain and their value to the world, we do agree on one thing, that they are here to stay. The more these topics are discussed and shared regardless of different opinions, the more people are exposed to the matter, learn about it, and form their independent opinions. This is how concepts evolve. Actually, the fact that such a highly respected Nobel Prize recipient and economist wrote an opinion column about Bitcoin in one of the world's most popular newspapers, twice already, proves the impact that cryptocurrencies have on our lives and may have on our future. 
for us true believers, the potential impact and good that this technology can create in the future is reason enough to hold. Okay, I understand you're mad at me for two things. Reading this piece that had blockchain and cryptocurrency so ridiculously spiced throughout. Also, the fact that we're wasting our time responding to Krugman. I get it. I get it. But dudes, this shit's going on. Paul Krugman is out there running his mouth. He doesn't understand a damn thing. He's been wrong about most shit. He gets a Nobel Prize, and somehow or another, they keep inviting him to write opinion pieces and go on CNBC because he's a Nobel laureate economist. The, the quicker we kill our heroes, the better off we're all going to be. I would like to see an end to the Nobel Prize. I would like to see an end to, I don't know, the Lincoln Medal, if there is such a thing. All that shit, all that shit is just window dressing. And people will do and say anything for colored bits of ribbon. That's Napoleon. He knew he could get people to walk all the way to Russia in the middle of winter and then all the way back getting his ass handed to him by literally nothing other than the elements and mother nature. And they would do it because at the end of that travel, they would get a medal with a colored bit of ribbon on it. He knew that and he used it. And that's why, honestly, that's why he was so successful. I do realize that he was in exile, not once, but twice. I get that part. But you got to admit, when that dude was on the battlefield with French armies, he was pretty much kicking everybody's ass. And he did it because he knew that he could bullshit somebody into laying down their life for a shiny bit of metal and a little bit of colored ribbon. I'm telling you, man, we, we believe these people because of these medals. We put up with their hog cockery because of these medals and the accolades and the prizes and all this bullshit. And that's all it is. It's just bullshit. It's just Napoleon playing over and over and over and over again. And it just gets so tiresome. Okay, let's see. 21 shares is going to list Bitcoin ETP, not ETF, ETP in London on the AUKUS exchange or AUKUIS exchange, however you pronounce it. Tanzil Akhtar is writing this one for Coindesk. Switzerland-based investment product service provider 21Shares is launching a Bitcoin exchange-traded product in the United Kingdom on the Aquis Exchange multilateral trading facility uh, mid-June. Oh, coming up pretty quick. 21Shares, formerly known as Amun, said the product will launch mid-June and is in partnership with the exchange-traded funds from GHCO, which will act as the liquidity pro provider for the Bitcoin ETP. The ETP will be cleared and engineered like an ETF and will give institutional investors in the United Kingdom exposure to Bitcoin through a regulated framework and structure to which they are already accustomed, uh, said the firm in a press release. If I remember, I want to come back to that. So far, the UK has been taking a cautious approach to approving crypto products. In January, the Financial Conduct Authority banned the sale of derivatives and exchange-traded notes, describing the products to be ill-suited for retail consumers citing potential harm. Yeah, keeping them poor is definitely not doing them harm. Huh? Quote, we have been working alongside 21 shares for months on this project. We are pleased to be able to respond to institutional demand in the UK for digital assets in this way, said Al-Sadir Haynes, the CEO of Aquis Exchange. ETC Group 
We'll also be making its cryptocurrency ETP available today to UK investors on the Aquis Exchange MTF. The clearing will be carried out by Switzerland-based central counterparty clearinghouse 6X Clear on June the 1st, 21 shares along with Wisdom Tree, Vanek, and the ETC Group listed ETPs on the Euronext Paris and Amsterdam stock exchanges. So here's what I want to say about this. At one point or another, the West is going to have to start thinking in non-Western traditional legacy ways. It's, it's all, here's what I see. It will be engineered like an ETF. Let's see. what. Oh, yeah. Uh, and will give institutional investors exposure to Bitcoin in a structure that they are already accustomed to. You can just buy the underlying asset and nobody can tell you that you can't. Now, you can't hold it, I mean, like as an institution, because you're, you're taking other people's money. That part I get, guys. I mean, I really do get that part. I'm just saying that it's, it's almost as if, if you live in the West, the only way that you can conceive of trapping and, and securing any kind of wealth is through an investment vehicle that is regulated a, into a smoking hole in the ground by a bunch of people wearing Brooks Brothers suits and with Nobel laureate, you know, our Nobel laureate economists. Apparently, if it's not done that way, it's not wealth and you can't attain it. Well, I got a whole group of people in El Salvador who are going to make these idiots look like the idiots that they really are just because they're just buying the underlying asset as an individual and not going to some bank and say, please help me get wealthy. You're the Nobel economist. Please help me give my, get my pittance of a paycheck and turn it into something that I can live on later on. We're going to, the people in the West have got to stop sucking at that tit because you're just egging the mother pig on honestly you know as we sit there as little piglets and try to feed off this immense whore that is the legacy financial system we're just encouraging it to get bigger the people in El, some of the people in El Salvador who already know the truth know they don't need a they don't need JP Morgan they don't need Chase Bank. They don't need Bank of America. They don't need Wells Fargo. They don't need, they don't need anything. They, what they need is a hardware wallet and the ability to hook up to the internet with a mobile phone. That's what they need. And that's what they got. And that's what they're doing. And that's why these guys are going to be made to be all look like idiots by a whole bunch of uneducated people in El Salvador. And I don't want to say that they're all uneducated. I'm just saying that the chances of them having the kind of education that somebody who works at Lloyd's Bank has is probably going to be pretty slim. So we might as well just go ahead and say, in comparison, uneducated. I'm, but honestly, it's almost as if we are locked into this mindset where we cannot attain and manage wealth without the actions of a third party that has, at one point or another, a Nobel laureate economist on their board of directors. You don't need it. Just buy Bitcoin. Okay, that's going to do it for the uh, afternoon roundup. All right, just finishing up. If you want to help support the show, just, you know, get the Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z. It's got a podcasting app inside of it. And instead of listening to it on like, I don't know, 
SoundCloud or, or Podberry or something like that, uh, use the, the Breeze Wallet because you can stream me Satoshis as you listen on a minute-over-minute basis to the podcast. And that goes right to my Lightning node. No, I do not hold it in a third party. It's going right to my node, which is sitting right on top of my computer. It's a little Raspberry Pi 4. I just love the fact that if you do stream me those Satoshis, nobody but me will see them. Ever. Ever, ever. No, really, seriously. And also, I completely forgot to introduce... Uh, our our introductory uh, guest, uh, Donald Trump, <laughs> at the very first of the episode. Yeah, he that was this morning, by the way. And uh, so now the meme for uh, I see that I see the way this week is shaping up. And here, here's here's what I, I see: a whole bunch of memes coming out of the dollar bill wearing a MAGA hat, and a whole bunch of people telling other people that they are racists. And they are vile haters of humanity because they support the U.S. dollar. And if Trump supports the U.S. dollar, you cannot support the U.S. dollar. Why? Well, very simply, he's the orange man. You hate the orange man. Remember? Remember? We're supposed to hate orange man. And anything that he likes is evil and vile and racist and and hates the hater of humanity. Well, guess what? He wants the United States dollar to always be the king of the world. So therefore, the United States dollar is evil, vile, uh, is uh, hates LGBTQ, is racist, uh, is anything. Uh, what we're going to do this week is we're going to use that to the best of our ability to literally slam and color orange any idiot who comes up against Bitcoin, and this will probably happen at least for this week, and I'm hoping on into the in, into the week after, because it's just too good. It's too good. It it's like it's being handed like a free meal, and it's a steak, not a whole bunch of you know bread or corn. It's an actual steak. Use it wisely, ladies and gentlemen. Trump loves the dollar. You're supposed to hate Trump. You're supposed to hate everything Trump loves. We'll see what happens on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.